the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Oh, oh, that, that could have been bad. Real bad right there. This is not good. Someone's telling me I'm taking a tumble today right there. That's a trap. Well, here we are in chapter 7 of Matthew. We're coming to uh, the, the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for about 30 weeks. In the next three weeks, um, this is kind of the application, if you will, the invitation, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking over and over and over again what it looks like for us as His citizens to live out in His kingdom. And so He's getting been telling us what it looks like. This is what it looks like in the Beatitudes. This is what you need to look like. This is You must be poor in spirit. You must be meek. He gives us a list of things. Then he goes into some other characteristics through chapter 5 and 6. And now here in chapter 7, he gets to the tail end of the passage to the sermon and says to us, and it's true for us today, the same way it was true for the people that were listening that way, we have a choice to make. We have choices every day. And so here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to come to His followers and to the people that were listening and say to them again, you have a choice to make. We have choices every single day. Maybe hundreds, if not thousands of choices every day. What kind of coffee am I going to get at Starbucks? There's a thousand and one choices just there. What am I going to wear? You had choices this morning. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to put on? And some of those choices in our lives just come naturally to us and we don't even think about the ramifications of it. I didn't think this morning when I stood in the mirror and put this shirt on and this suit on, any ramifications for the rest of the day. I had to make a choice. I made a choice this morning not to eat. I'll probably pay for that in a few minutes. Then there's other things in life that we actually have to think about those choices. We get to the tail end of high school and we have a decision to make, a choice to make. Where will I go to college? We get into college and we have that next choice. What am I going to do with my life? What major am I going to choose? What job am I going to choose? Those have more ramifications for our life. And then there's those few moments in our life that we have to think long term. For me that happened... A little over 11 years ago, I just celebrated yesterday 11 years with Jenny, but that was a choice that I got to make that I had to think through all the ramifications of what that would look like. I didn't take that choice to ask Jenny to be my wife lightly. I hope you didn't with your spouse either. Then a few years ago, five years ago, Jenny and I had been talking about having kids and God gave us Tennyson. That was a choice that we made. That choice is going to lasts with us for a lifetime. Same with Cedar a few, about a year ago. And so there's these choices. Some don't really matter. What kind of coffee am I going to drink? So what kind of clothes am I going to wear? Then the choices get a little bit more important. What job am I going to have? To what spouse am I going to be with? To what children am I going to have? But there's no greater choice than what we'll look at this morning. See, that's what Jesus is going to come to us. He's going to say to us, as His disciples, as His believers, okay, today you've just heard this amazing Sermon on the Mount. What's your choice? God throughout the Bible gives His people choices all over the Bible. And we could sum up those choices into two categories. 
life and death. He tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 29. He says, God himself says this, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. There's the choice. There's a blessing here and there's a curse here. The choice is yours. Verse 27, The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go another way to other gods that you do not know. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Again, over and over, these are just a few examples. Joshua chapter 24, the very end of Joshua, he says this, Joshua says this, But he's really saying on behalf of God, I give you a land on which you do not labor and cities that you have not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olives of the orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, because I've given you all this, is what God says. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. And then Joshua says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so again, in in Kings, Elijah says this, you know, if you know the story of Elijah, he's the prophet of God, and he's been doing uh, things against the, the, the God Baal, and he comes to the people and says to the people, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer. You see, over and over and over and over again in the Word of God, God is going to give his people a choice to live or to die to have life or to have death the choice is ours again this morning here we are at the end of the sermon on the mount we've studied for 30 weeks about what it means for us to be kingdom citizens you see and now in the last three weeks Jesus is going to give us illustration after illustration after illustration nine different illustrations to choose between one or the other. He's going to show us there's two gates to choose. There's two paths to choose. There are two groups of people to be with. There's two destinations. There's two trees. The good tree or the bad tree. There are two kinds of people. There are two kinds of builders. The wise builder or the foolish builder. There's two foundations you can build on. And there are two houses you can build. And so over and over in the next three weeks, today included, we're going to look at the choices God gives to His people. And it can all be summed up to Will you today, will I to do today choose life or will I choose death? You see, we can come to this sermon and we can come to all these 30 weeks that we've been studying and we can sit in the pew and we can say to ourselves, man, that was a great message. Man, that was a great series. Man, that is a great sermon. Man, God's Word is great. It's fantastic. But if we just stay there, then we've missed the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. We must choose. 
I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this text. We can't just simply say, yes, that was good. Here's what he says. The Sermon on the Mount cannot just be commended. It must be carried out. What he is saying and what Christ is saying to us, we cannot simply just be bystanders to hear the Word of God and do nothing with the Word of God. That's what James tells us. Hey, I'll show you my faith by what I do. I can't just be a man of faith by just my words. My words and my actions have to go together. And so for us this morning, what will we choose? Life or death? The very first illustration that he gives us are that there's these two gates. If you will turn back to Matthew chapter 7, he says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. It leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who choose it are few. And so this morning we'll look at four things. We'll look at the two gates that God gives us through Christ. We'll look at the two paths that He offers us. We'll look at the two groups that we have to choose from. And ultimately, we'll look at the the final destination. The two ways that these paths will end. But the first one is this. The gates. Circle the very first word in the text. In verse 13, he says this. Jesus says, enter. That word enter is a word of a command. It, It means literally to have a definition to define a specific action. You must choose. You see, so often we come to God's Word and we look at God's Word as it's just a piece of artwork. And we observe it. And we sit back and we look at it and we say, man, that is fantastic. That is amazing. But we never put any application into what we're reading. You see, God's Word is not just merely a piece of art. It is a thing that is calling us to an action. And here's the saddest part of all of it. You today are choosing one or the other. You cannot simply be neutral. I cannot be neutral. I cannot come to the Word of God and simply be neutral. I am making a decision every moment of the day whether I'm going to choose God or whether I'm not going to choose God. I don't sit back and remain neutral and say, ah, I don't know. The moment I sit back and say, no, I've already made a choice. And yet so often that's how Satan is tempting us and how Satan is drawing us away from from God himself. He's saying to us, Satan is whispering, hey, you don't have to make a decision yet. Take your time. The moment I take my time, I've already made the decision. The moment I have decided not to follow Christ, I've already decided to follow my own way, and my own way is to not choose a way, but therefore I've chosen a way. And so it's not a passive word. It's a word that simply means you and I are going to choose something today, this very moment. And so what does God tell us to choose? He's saying to us off the bat, there's two gates. There's the narrow gate and there's a wide gate. We'll start with the wide gate. I love this idea that there is a way to Christ. Let me say that again. There is a way to Christ. There are not multiple ways to Christ. Now you may sit here and think, yeah, well, we're narrow-minded. Yes, I am narrow-minded. I'm a very narrow-minded man when it comes to salvation. 
But God himself is a very narrow-minded God when it comes to salvation, and yet Satan has exploited that and says, oh no, there's a lot of different ways to God. You choose which way you want to go to God. Even within Christianity, there are there's many people that say, yeah, even in the Christian circles, yeah, there's, there's more ways to God than through Jesus Christ. No, there is a way and only one way to Christ. And so as believers, yes, we are narrow-minded people. Because it's not our ideas that are narrow-minded. It's God himself that is narrow-minded. There is one way to, to God the Father. It's through the gate of Jesus Christ. This is what he says in John 14, 6. Jesus says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. There are no other gates. John 10, 9 says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the way. Acts 4, 12 says this, If there is salvation in no one else, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven among whom men by which may be saved. The gate to our salvation is very narrow. There is only one way. It's Christ Himself. It's Christ Himself. He uses this word narrow. There's a picture on the screen. The best way to explain what this looks like is a turnstile. Anyone ever been in the airport or been in a subway? They've had to go through one of these. Now, I'm a big dude. And there's not a whole lot of space with me and anyone else that can go into that turnstile, right? I can't take Tennyson with me. I really can't take a backpack with me. I'm going to enter the gate, enter to that turnstile alone. And that's what God is telling to us this morning. That there is a very narrow way into our salvation. And what does it look like? I cannot ride the coattails of my parents into my salvation. I cannot come to church and say, well, the church is what gives me salvation. I cannot say to myself, I sing songs, therefore I'm saved. No, there is only one way, and it's a narrow way. And it's Christ himself and nothing else. Let me say that one more time. There is no other way to God the Father, except through Christ Himself. Here's how we enter that narrow gate. Two things. There's a a thousand things. But two really stand out to me this morning. The first is this. It's found in Matthew 18.3. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The first thing for us to enter into the gate is this. The the admission, if you will. If you were to pay a ticket to get to the gate, this is what you have to pay. You have to first come to the gate and you have to enter the gate with childlikeness. What does that simply mean? Simply means this. If you think of a child, what is a child? A child is someone that is totally dependent on their parents. Like Tennyson is totally dependent on me. Cedar is totally dependent on me, totally dependent on Jenny. And so if I'm going to come to Christ, through, to God, through Christ, I must come like a child in total dependence. Like I cannot have any independence 
if I want to enter into the kingdom of God. Because if there's any independence in me, then there's something in me that says, I'll find my own way. That's what a child will do when they begin to gain their independence. They begin to look for other ways outside of the way of the parent. And yet Christ is telling us here in Matthew 18, the way into heaven is through dependence, not independence. And yet we grow up in a world that the world is teaching us, hey, be independent. Everything you see on TV, everything you read in the news is about gaining your independence, and yet it, it's countercultural to the kingdom of God, which says, no, you must be dependent. And so this morning, first and foremost, as we come to the gate, and we begin to enter the gate, am I, are you dependent on God and God alone? You remember, we've been talking about that over the last several weeks, about leaving the things of the world and becoming dependent on God. Are we dependent on God this morning? The next one is this. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's being alone or losing self. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him what deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the next thing that we see, we have to have a dependent faith in the, in the gate that we enter, in Christ Jesus, and we must come alone. Right? If you think about back to that picture of the, of the turnstile, there is nothing that you can take in a turnstile with you. It's you and you alone. And, and yet we grow up in a world that says, no, take whatever you want. No, we must rip ourselves of everything that is of the world if we're going to enter into the kingdom of God. We cannot have the world and, have our, and be in God's kingdom. Those two things cannot coexist. So we must come to this gate this morning and say to ourselves, am I first totally dependent on God? And what am I willing to let go of to enter into the kingdom of God? You see so many people get to the gate of Christ Jesus and say, hmm, I'll give all that up, but I won't give that up. Oh, come on, God, let, let me take, I'll leave everything behind, but this one thing I'm not going to leave behind. This one security that I find security in, I'm not going to leave that behind. I was doing a group with a group of college-aged guys. And this young man, he was, it was a Bible study, and this young man could continue, came to our group and continued to uh, struggle with his girlfriend, and yet he, in the struggle with his girlfriend, wanted to have a holy life. And so I simply looked at him and said to him, hey, what are you willing to give up to follow Christ? And he said, anything. And in that moment I said, break up with your girlfriend. You're saying you want holiness but you're sleeping with her. Well, now, I don't know about that one. Just this week, I was in a counseling session. The, another thing came up, alcohol. Now, I'm not saying alcohol is a sin, but I'm saying alcohol can lead to sin. If you're using alcohol in sinful ways, we've got to give it up. And the, and the man said, mm, I don't know about that one. I'll give up everything, but I'm not giving up that. 
You see, for us to enter into the narrow gate, we must have a willingness to let go of everything. We must come into the kingdom of God empty-handed, if you will. And so for us, this morning, what is it for you and for me that I have to let go of to enter into the kingdom of God? He says that's the narrow gate. There is one way. And then he says, but the other choice is yours. It's a wide gate. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to an amusement park. I hate those things. Uh, I'm scared to death of heights. But if you ever go into an amusement park, you've got to go through the turnstile first. But after the turnstile, it's just wide open. I mean, it's like pandemonium, especially when the park first opens, which is a terrible idea to go when the park first opens. You'll get trampled on. But that's what he's saying to us. He's saying, hey, there's a, there is a gate that's much easier. And you can choose that. There is a gate that you can take whatever you want. There is a gate that there's no hindrances to how you live. If you want into this way, go ahead. Bring whatever you want. And so right off the bat, he says to those people that are listening, hey, the choice is yours. Will you enter through the narrow gate or will you enter through the wide gate? Here's the saddest part for me. As we look at the picture that Jesus is giving to us, it's not as if the picture, the word picture that Jesus is saying, hey, there's a gate over here that leads this way and there's a gate over here that leads this way. He's saying, no, there's a gate that leads this way and there's a gate that leads this way. And the destruction is that when we stand at both gates, the end looks the same. That's the great temptation of Satan. Satan has showed us that both the roads, and we'll get there in a second, and the gates lead to the same place. So, so many people are saying to themselves, yeah, they're both going to lead to life. Why not choose this one? You, you see, because if, if it was so simple that we were standing at one gate or the other gate and saw the destination of destruction, who in their right mind would say, yeah, I'll go after destruction? But Satan is so cunning, baffling, and powerful, he even makes the destination look the same at the gates. And so, so many people come and they begin to hear about God and hear the ways of God and say, why would I ever choose that way if the destination is the same? And part of that is us as believers. We've got to take some responsibility for that. Because there's unbelievers watching us live out on, in the gate and live out on the, broad, on the narrow path and they think, well, they're no different than me. So believers, the unbelievers look at believers and say, well, why would I choose that path? We'll get to that part in the passage. So here we are. He says, choose which way, which gate you will enter. And then he says to us, now once you've entered, there's two paths. There's only two paths. And he flips it and he starts not with the narrow uh, way, he starts with the broad way, which means this. And it looks like this. It's easy. It's attractive. It's all-inclusive. It's all-indulgent. There, there's few rules. There's few uh, rules of admission. There's few restrictions. It's easy to enter into 
the wide gate, and it's easy to be on the broad path. I think it would look a lot like the Vegas Strip. That's when I was studying. I thought, man, if there's ever a place, it's probably Vegas. The lights, the shows, the everything. Man, how attractive is that? Oh, I'll never forget what uh, Buddy told me. Sin is always attractive. And so what is, what is Satan going to do? He's going to take sin and dress it up and make it so attractive. It, it's what draws us to sin. It's as if we're bugs with a light. Like, and we get fried, right? I mean, that's, that's the picture. Like you and I are like, that bug's going to get zapped. And that bug's like, just zapped, it's fried and starts smoking. It's pretty amazing. We at our house have an uh, electric swipe, uh, fly swatter. That thing is amazing. It kind of stinks. Now I better stay on task. Right, here's what the, the Proverbs say about this way. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man. Right, the broad way seems right to man. It's the easy way, right? Don't we as people want the, the easy way? Don't we want the easy life? When I'm trying to make decisions, I want to choose the easier things to do. And so the, the, the great writer Solomon says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. You see, the way on the broad way is a way of freedom and independence. It's the thing that we are fighting so hard against. We want our freedom and we want our independence. And so Satan says, well, here's the way to get it. Because freedom and independence are countercultural to the kingdom of God. We are what? He says, Paul says, we are slaves now. We give up our freedom to become slaves of righteousness. If we choose the narrow path, we become slaves. And there's something in all of us that say, oh, I don't want to be a slave. I want to be free. And yet for us, we must choose to become slaves to righteousness. We must choose the narrow gate, which takes us on the narrow path. Circle that word in your Bible, narrow. It comes from the root word to groan. If you have an NIV, I don't have anything against the NIV, but I think the NIV misses this passage of Scripture. The NIV doesn't capture what this passage says. It doesn't say what it says here in the ESV. It leaves out this one phrase the NIV does, and I think that's where it misses it. It says, For the gate is narrow, and the way is narrow, and the way is hard. The NIV doesn't say it's hard. Like when you and I choose to enter into the narrow gate and we choose to be on the narrow path, I promise this, it is going to be very, very, very difficult. Romans 5.3 says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. John 15, verse 9 through 20 says this, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you chose the broad way, if you chose the wide gate, the world would love you. But because you are not of the world, because you've chosen the narrow gate and you've chosen to live on the narrow path, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. There will be persecution and great suffering on the narrow road. I want to forewarn you, before you ever choose at the gate, the narrow gate, to enter this way of life, this way of life is going to bring great persecution and it's going to bring great suffering. How come? We can look at Christ Himself. Christ Himself suffered much and was persecuted much. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but I want to forewarn you. So many people say, hey, just... Come to Christ, and when you come to Christ, everything's going to go well for you. Well, maybe not. It didn't for Jesus. It did not go well for Jesus to come as a servant and to live out the kingdom of God day in and day out. It cost him his very life. And so for me and for you as Christ follows, what is it in us that say, not me? If our Savior suffered and died to live a holy life, we will do the same if we live a holy life. He says that. He says there will be suffering on this road. The next few words say this. Few find it. We'll get to that in a minute, but there's something in this text when it comes to this idea that there is a, a gate and there is a path that's narrow. It says this. Few will find it. How come? Because few seek for it. You see, if I find something, it's because I look for it. You see, you and I, we must be diligent in finding the ways of God. That's the question for you and for me. Do I seek God? Do I seek Him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might, with all that I am? Am I seeking God? It's not going to come easily. This is something that you and I are going to have to strive for. It's not going to be a big highlighted gate and a highlighted path. It's going to be hard to find. I believe it's going to be hard to find because I believe that Satan knows if it's found, then that way is going to take away from him. And so Satan's going to do whatever he can to distract us from finding the narrow gate and finding the narrow path. And so he's going to do all this work in creating this broad way and this broad gate to attract everyone onto that gate so that we'll see in a few minutes where that ultimately leads. It's to destruction. You see, because if you and I choose the narrow gate and we choose the narrow path, Satan knows that once we choose that, therefore we glorify God. And if we glorify God, there's no way for us to glorify Satan any longer. And so Satan doesn't want us to rob him of what he thinks is his and that's glory. That's what happened in heaven. That's what took Satan out of heaven. Satan said to God, I want the same glory that you're getting. And God said, it can't be that way. There is only one that can receive all this glory, and it's me. And because you want to receive it, you've got to be cast out. And so for all of eternity so far, Satan has been robbing the people of God from the glory of God for his own glory. And so, of course, the gate's going to be hard to find. So few will find it. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. 
You will seek me. Here's the great promise. You will find me. Today, if you seek after God, you will find him. When you seek me with all of your heart. So often I think people give up with the last part of the verse. Seeking him with all of their heart. We'll start off the journey. We'll start off the search with all that we have. And then things get difficult when we just kind of give up. Man, this Christian life, I don't know about all this. It's too difficult. The demands from God are too much. I just can't do it. And we stop seeking God. Here's the other great part as we go on to the last two. The other great part is this. It's the great promise for us. If we think of it this way, that the kingdom of God is like a turnstile, if you go to a turnstile, you walk in, you can never walk out. See, if you and I choose the narrow gate, if you and I choose the narrow path, once we enter it, no one and nothing, not even ourselves, can take us off the narrow road. We have what we call eternal security. We are secure in the hand of God forever and ever and ever once we choose the narrow gate and we choose the narrow path. We enter into the hand of God and the hand of God seals us forever. No one can rob us from the hand of God. Not even yourself. We have eternal security. That's the great promise of the narrow gate. That's the great promise of the narrow path. You can never be taken off the path no matter what you've done. Here's the other promise. You, you see the wide gate and the wide path. There is no turnstile. It's just a wide open door. Come and go as you please. And so if this morning you're on that wide path, the great promise is you don't have to be there anymore. All you have to do is turn around. It's what we call repentance and walk out of that gate into the narrow gate. The choice is yours. You see, if you're walking on the broad path, there is no thing at the beginning of the path that says, hey, you can't leave. You can leave whenever you want. But the only way to leave is through repentance. Which takes us to the next thing. There's two destinations. There's two gates. There's two paths and there's two destinations. Though when we start off, we only think there's one destination. That's the scariest part for me of this whole text. Both gates look like they're headed in the same direction. Both gates, both paths look like they're heading to eternity. And there's so many people on the broad way of life and on the broad gate that think they're going to have eternal life forever and ever and ever. The scary part is, even Billy Graham has said this, there's so many professing believers that probably aren't believers at all. And that's what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7. We'll look at this in, in a few weeks. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
That is a scary, frightening passage. That there's people, even maybe even in here this morning, that would say, yes, I'm on the, I entered the narrow gate and I'm on the narrow path. I'm headed for eternity. And you'll get to eternity and Christ Himself will say to you, I don't, I don't have any idea who you are. That is a scary, frightening passage. And it comes down to one thing. It comes down to, are you and am I doing the will of God? What is the will of God? The will of God is following His commandments. You cannot and I cannot be on the narrow path and look like I'm living on the broad path. It cannot happen. Because if it's happening for you, if it's happening for me, if I'm saying I'm living this way, but all of my life is showing I'm living this way, I'm going to get to the end, and God's going to say, mm, I, I got no idea who you are. I have no clue who you are. You see, there are two destinations to these paths. The first one is destruction. That simply means everlasting judgment, everlasting punishment, everlasting torment. You see, if you choose to go through the, the wide way, if you choose the broad path, the end is destruction. You will spend all of eternity apart from Christ Jesus. That is hell itself. To spend all of eternity away from the glory of God is hell itself. You see, I've said this many times from this pulpit, if you're a believer here, this is the only hell you'll know. If you're a believer, you have chosen the narrow path and you've chosen the narrow gate, this is the only hell you'll ever know. But the flip side to that is this. If you do not know Christ Jesus, then you've chosen the broad gate and the broad way of life. This is the only heaven you'll ever know. Which, no thank you. If this is the best it gets, no thank you. But thank God if this is the worst it ever gets. There are two paths. Destruction and life. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, I've come to give you life and life for the full. That word here simply means in this passage, not just eternal life, but he's talking about the life today, the life in this very moment. When you choose Christ Jesus and I choose life, Christ Jesus for all of my life my life will be forever different there will be a joy that comes into my life that's unexplainable and that joy is for today and so today for us which one will you choose the last one is this two groups there's the unbelievers that's the ones that have chosen the wide gate and the wide way of life there's many on that he says in the text Enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. There are many, many, many people that even in this very moment have chosen the wide gate and the broad path. And they're leading to destruction. But the second one is this. The believer. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Christian, we will always be outnumbered. We will always be outnumbered. That's what the text says over and over and over again. There will always be more unbelievers than believers. 
And if that is true, then our life is always going to be very difficult. Because we're taking a, the gospel message, the light of the world, into darkness. And if you think if you're going to take the light of the world into darkness, it's going to be easy. It won't be easy because they will always outnumber us. Which means to me, and says to me this, yes, we enter into the way of life, to the gate, in a narrow path, and we get onto the narrow road, but we don't ever stay alone. That's the beauty of the church. Once we're on the path, we must gather together to protect ourselves from the world. That's why we need the church. That's why we need this place. And I don't mean this building. I, I, some days I wish the four walls of this building will fall apart to see, man, are we still the church or we just have a church house? I hope that we as God's people experience the church, the body of believers every day. We need one another. We do not need a building. We need relationship. I cannot do the Christian life without you, nor can you do the Christian life without me. There are so many attacks coming against us every day. We must huddle up. It's like this. If you've ever seen National Geographic, don't watch it with your kids. If you ever see it, where what happens? You get a herd of wildebeest, and they go to the watering hole. And what does the herd, or whatever they're called, of the lions do? They don't attack the herd. They attack the one that's wandered away. You see, we as believers, we must stay in a herd. Because when we wander off, we will be attacked and we will be devoured. You and I, we cannot succeed against the ploys of Satan on our own, we must take the few and make a pact out of them. And so for us this morning, the choice is yours. What will you choose today? I love this quote as we end. Because this is what will show us what it means to enter the gate and what it means to walk the narrow path and what it means to lead to life. Charles Spurgeon says this, you and your sin must separate. That's what has to happen at the gate. You cannot take your sin with you into the gate. You must come to the gate and enter through repentance. Repentance is saying, I'm getting rid of my sin. Or you and your God can never come together. Let me say that one more time. You and your sin must separate. Or you and your God will never come together. No one sin, he said, may you keep. You cannot keep sin is what Spurgeon is saying. They must all be recognized for what they are. And then he talks about what happened in the Old Testament. They must be, the sin must be brought out into the light like the Canaanite kings from the cave and hanged in the sun. They must be on full exposure. For you must forsake them sin, abhor them sin, and ask the Lord to overcome them. That is how we enter the gate. So as we close this morning, the choice again is yours. You will make a lot of choices even today. You will leave here and you'll choose what you'll eat. And you'll choose today what you put on your plate to eat. You'll choose how much you eat. You'll choose how long you'll sleep this afternoon if you're like me. You'll have choice after choice after choice 
after choice today. But there is no greater choice than this very moment. What gate will you choose to enter in? That's where he says at the very beginning of this text, enter the narrow gate. The choice is yours. Let us pray. God, you've made it through Christ Jesus so clear. The choice is left up to us today. You've provided a way to have eternal life. And that eternal life comes through Christ and Christ alone. May we choose Him today. And the beautiful part is, God, we need You to open our eyes to make that choice. So even now, Holy Spirit, I pray that You would draw every man to Yourself and that You would open the eyes of our hearts that may, we may see the gate. God, I pray if there's anyone in here, even this moment, that's searching for the gate, that in this very moment, they'll find it through Your revelation. The choice is ours, God. Enable us, empower us to choose You and only You. Go before us. Again, God, thanks so much for mothers and all that they mean to us. Let us celebrate them today, God. But let us, let us be reminded they are just gifts from You, therefore You are to be celebrated. God, I pray that You would help us choose life and life to the full today. I pray this in Christ's mighty and holy name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, I'll be up front. And you want to choose the narrow gate, come forward and talk to me. If, you brought, if someone brought you here, ask them. If you're here this morning and you uh, long ago chose the narrow gate but have wandered off and you're in the weeds of that narrow gate and you need to come back and confess to God to get back in right standing with Him even this morning, come. There's no greater choice that can be made today than the following Christ Jesus.